Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland, and you are listening live. How there, Daniel Kibidi, who is the upcoming potential president, uh, general secretary, I would say, of the NEU. He was president. We're going to interview Daniel later on about half past one. We're also going to discuss, obviously, the issues of the day, including strike action and much more. So tune in and talk it out with me. And Adam. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Enough's enough. Over the past decade, funding has been eroded, pay has declined, workload has increased, we have lost our professional control, our schools have lost their joy. And every day we witness horrific levels of poverty that so many children face. Education's in crisis. My name's Daniel Kebedi. I am a passionate teacher and I am standing to be your General Secretary because I know only a strong and united union can win the change that we need. Now, last year, President, I told the School Teachers Review Body we need a fully funded inflation plus pay award or we will ballot our members. Well, we've spoken. You have spoken. Now I know that pay is not our only concern. And whilst lifting the pay of all school staff is my top priority, there are other pressing problems that must also be addressed. School funding is too low, workload is too high. We must take back control of curriculum and pedagogy. We must abolish Ofsted. Now as the union's president and as a national officer, I have led this union alongside Kevin Courtney and Mary Bowstead for the last three years, enabling our union to respond effectively to the COVID pandemic. And I know from my experience of meeting ministers of state and the English and Welsh pay review bodies, that it's only an energetic, organized and caning union that can make politicians sit up and listen. Now I will strengthen our work with other unions and I will build a stronger relationship with NASUWT because uniting every staff room will give us one voice able to speak for teachers, supply educators and support staff enabling us to take successful strike action when it's needed. Now we need a change in government but we cannot expect a Labour government just to give us what we ask for. We need a strong and united union that can make that case, one that fights and wins on the issues that matter to our members, one that boosts pay, reduces workload, wins on funding, and one that reclaims education for educators and for our children. Together, we can bring about change. So please use your vote in this election and vote for Daniel Kebedi. Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone. We're live from Derbyshire, and we've played up the start because we're very excited today. <laughs> That's going to be very loud, are we? I think we're extremely loud. We're having a bit of sound difficulties on our... Extremely loud. Yeah. Sorry, we're coming across extreme. I think we're coming across extremely okay. loud. Hey, that's that's better. Yeah. If anyone's listening live, give us a bit of feedback on that, but we had a sudden blast of voice there hopefully, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully okay. okay well as i said we're, we're very pleased to have um daniel uh, kebedy with us uh later on this afternoon so um if you do have any questions about the upcoming strike action uh any you in the future um or you just got kind of any concerns about 
the union or you know you want to ask him kind of any live questions uh please feel free to do that um it's been uh, an interesting week uh, how's your week been brent yes uh, i'm, I'm gonna be honest i'm absolutely knackered at the moment uh, mainly because i spent the week talking to my, my colleagues 20 odd colleagues in, in my school uh i'm sitting down with my head teacher in the slt it's been a a tough week in many ways, but a uh, very encouraging week and a very uplifting week, um, but exhausting. Pregnancy in there as well. You know, you're teaching 400 children, 16 separate classes across uh, four different subjects, and then when you've got a family, and this, you, this strike action is, is, is obviously uh, swaying us down a little bit if you have a school based rep, trying to find the balance between you know, the school needs, the union needs, and the staff needs. So a big shout out to any reps out there who know exactly what I'm talking about this week. Uh, it's tough, but at the same time, I'm extremely proud of my colleagues, the union, and of the school. And I've had, I think, a, a decent, a decent response from my colleagues as well. We fully appreciate the job that we're trying to do. So a, a tough week, a hard week, exhausting week. I pretty much had downtime yesterday where I just must just recharge my batteries because, you know, it's like we're teaching. We get to the weekend and we can, you know, you need to maybe a little bit of line. Mm. What you get to maybe seven o'clock, you know, if you're yeah. a young family like I have. Um, we also had uh, an interesting week. With, um, we, we had a conversation with uh, a, a television presenter about homework, yeah. who then responded. So uh, we, we, we had yeah, a Kirsty Olsop kind of tweeted us back. We're obviously very grateful for any communication. And again, today, if you'd like to join in uh, with what we're doing, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, homework's a very kind of interesting thing. You know, it kind of sparked a conversation with me and my family, and I've kind of sat down and had a, a conversation with it. But friends and colleagues, not education as well, obviously got a vested interest in homework. Um, but one of the things is what I find has been quite interesting. I wonder if uh, the people who are not so keen on homework, and uh, you know, maybe you know, it'd be great if, if Kirsty would join us uh, for a debate on this. You know, is, is it. Is it the cultural capital? We, we started talking linking back to cultural capital, didn't we? Yeah. And said, if if students don't have homework, his interest one. If students don't have homework, how are they going to get uh, that cultural capital? If it's if it can't come from the home for whatever reason, um, either the parents uh, are unable to support children uh, for various reasons. I.e., they've got multiple jobs. Uh, they have. Um, they, they're all willing to do it, but they don't have the skill set yeah. uh, to provide their children with that uh, work from home. Is it then a, the duty of the school to, to supply homework to then give that uh, extra that, that, yeah. that for the, the family can't then give? Well, we saw during the pandemic in the digital divide that we also saw the skills divide as well. And um, we, we saw that there were some parents who. Uh, they weren't able to to do their children's homework with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I know my parents aren't from the well, from the educated school, but not university educated. So in a lot of ways, um, I uh, you know I had to ask for external help sometimes with the libraries, things like that. And but the last side of it is I got a lot of cultural capital as a child. Uh, a lot of nature walks. I went to primary school was very broad and balanced in the education, tied down mm. arts and crafts. Uh, I became a geography teacher one of the results because I, I would have drummed them was at the age of six or seven years old. I was disappointed when I went to secondary school because um, it wasn't as good as my broad and balanced primary school, which is three miles up the Warren Mountains, mm. where I looked out on a beautiful lot. And I love going back there. I take the drive up to my old school, which doesn't exist any longer because it's a tiny community school. 
um, wasn't big enough. And, and obviously, the funding cuts came, and they were trying to amalgamate it. But I'm very proud of that. that I got a very broad education from a set of parents who had the cultural capital, but were extremely working class. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I spent my childhood on the beach. Uh, we, we did do, you know, every time we went on holidays, there was castles. I, I got enrichment, and that's the difference. My homework was, you know, not formally sitting down doing maths work, but, you know, Sunday I, I, Sunday was watching the wildebeest getting taken down. You know, and my mum used to always call me down and go, mm. you know, David Attenborough's on. And I actually, you know, a lot of the stuff that I learned was through the documentaries. Yeah. My parents had a choice to watch something with me as a child. It was watching dispatches or spotlight, or it was watching some yeah. political documentary. Can I ask a question? Watching... Did you both your parents work? Mum was uh, a domestic engineer, mm. aka housewife, and Dad was a, a manual plasterer. He, yeah. he he worked a lot of hours, yeah. but he also took me out. Funny enough, my dad used to take me out the building side and taught me some life skills there. Uh, and that again was dealing with people. So I'd say one of the reasons I'm good with dealing with people because I went out with my dad. My dad would talk to people and engage with people but equally mum was there when I came home from school yeah. so there was that but then again I would then watch your news round again you know there was a lot of differences then we you hadn't you hadn't got the choice that we have now there was a local library I'd go to and mm. I used to sometimes go down to the local library and, and get books out but then you see those local libraries aren't there any longer yeah, yeah. and there's literally an issue in 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 Derby at the minute with this yes is that we have issues with our uh, local libraries, which I'm sure is very similar to any kind of uh, small city, is, is struggling to fund those. Learning um, deserts, I think yeah. we're starting to call them. Um, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, maybe there's a kind of a, 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 sh a shift there where both parents have to be at work sometimes, and we're, we're having a conversation about um, the latchkey kids uh, that come home to an empty home, and that's yeah, society, isn't home. it? So, so, so if 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 we say there's going to be no homework from the school then potentially those children are going to get even further behind. But here's an interesting one that came up in the week as well on this, is if you are a single parent and the teacher, hmm. how do you give your child that support with their own schoolwork? Doing that, that was an interesting one we had. And, and, and some, of the, some of my colleagues are arrested with that kind of question at the minute. Um, how do they provide the support for that their children have got homework? How do they do their phonics, spelling, reading when they're asked to stay for meetings after school for their own job? It's tough, isn't and it? So, so there's, yeah. a, there's a balance there of is there kind of an inbuilt uh, bias in the system, really, that says largely mm. this, this job cannot, cannot be done by, well, it can be done by people. But, it, but it's going to be very, very challenging for but we uh, need single, single parents, of course. Yeah. But we need lifelong learning. And, and that, again, is where education shouldn't just be from four to, be four, four to 16, 18, 17. You know I mean, I, amount of times parents come back to me and say, I wish I could go back to school or, or they're doing, they're doing education. And, and people develop at different stages in mm. life. Some people go get their degrees when they're a lot older because yeah. they, 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 their life changes. I think we should have that avenue where we need to, I think, reach out and educate the people who are educating their children. Yeah. Um, and I, as I say, you know, that's that's the thing is we are dealing with an information age where people can sometimes not be educated correctly. In other words, they can go on Facebook, YouTube, and, we, we, you know, you know that where people can be radicalised. Yeah. And I think we've seen schools down in London where the anti-vaxxers and the flat earthers have set up their own little... And that's the, you know, we're dealing with a world of overload where people have so much information, but I don't think they know how to use it or make sense. And I think that, again, goes yeah. down to that ideal of educating the people who educate yeah. the children. But we got told off, didn't we? We, we got a little bit of a telling off from, from Kirsty Gossip because we put our poll out on a poll. <laughs> too binary. Yeah, it was too binary. <laughs> well, it's Twitter. Yeah, well, we did. That's the point of Twitter, to try, to try and get a kind of conversation. 
And uh, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of knew that would be the case. I'm not kind of, I'm not saying in any case it is a binary issue. We did just say do homework and not do yeah, homework. Yeah, but that, that is that is as you just said, that is one of the issues about social media yeah. ge- generally, isn't it? That we you, know, you, you have to kind of, um, you know, life has been forced down these kind of binary issues. Um, but yeah, it's certainly an interesting debate. I don't think it's one that's going to go away. We'd just like to come back to it regularly. Um, there's also the issue this week about kind of the um, the the books, uh, the literacy around kind of do you look after books? Do you keep books? How do you how do you look at the books? Obviously, we knew during kind of COVID, I was definitely guilty of this to start that I wanted my background to be the kind of the library behind me. <laughs> Welcome to Alexandria, my yeah, library, yeah, you know. Yeah, but it was always good. I thought it was good because I don't know about you, certainly at the start of lockdown, I liked um, to try and look look on the news, see what books the um, the Michael, Go- Michael Gove had. Or, you know, it was always interesting. Kind of, does, does he know those books? Or those people who have written their own books? And they just turned to to try and get some free marketing. Are those photographs of people in the background you happen to get PPE contracts (laughs) from the local club? There was a lot of backgrounds. There was a lot of backgrounds catching people out. Um, 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 Where where are you on books? Do you do you go digital? Do you? I have um, been a historian. There's nothing better than sometimes the smell and feel. Uh, and we had our old school library in school. Your book zipper. Um, Your book zipper. Uh, no, I, 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 I do like kitschy, weird books. Yeah. Um, I've got, uh, I have a 1962 uh, John F. Kennedy. In, uh, 62. No, I might get that wrong. Um, please don't call me on that. Um, but I have a, a John F. Kennedy inauguration. Um, book, I think 61 or so. Well, yeah. Someone's going to correct me on that. Yeah. I, I probably should check that. And it's literally his only 500 produced. Yeah. And I found it actually being chucked out mm. and I've rescued it. So I like rescuing old books. I've got World War One stuff that was being chucked out. And it's actually the, the, the primary sources of the cartoons from World War One. So I've, I've got, if anybody's yeah. looking at Stone Austin now and have a look at some of the stuff I've salvaged. Yeah. But I do like. You know, not your popular books like your Harry Potters and stuff like that because there's only millions of those. I do like the kitschy, weird, on almost nothing really else would have. Uh, and, and and being in a story, and I do love my maps. Yeah. And my travel books. Yeah, I like the map, yeah. I do like, I'm going <laughs> to sign weird. I do like books with pictures of them. Yeah, yeah. So those earth my bulbs, you yeah. know, Jan Athros Bratons. I do, I mean, the geographer and the story in me just so comes together. When I look, you look at my library and go, there's this from above, that from above, and there's a battlefield. Mm. And, and sometimes they are like the battlefields from above. Because I do, I do love. I've got the drone now, yeah. and nothing better than looking at at places from above and figuring out the landscape. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I love my books. Yeah, it's fantastic. But they do get to take up space, and, and space yeah. is a premium. Um, I, I just say, just just one little. I think it's okay to promote this because it's literally for um, for schools and for parents. Uh, if you want to support your local um, library, they do offer some fantastic services. Particularly, there's an app called uh, Borrow Book. Uh, which I use quite a lot of my children use. And it's a fantastic way to support your local library uh, by having an account with them and they'll go and set you up and you will also get kind of free audio books and free ebooks as well. It's just one of those things. If that if that is the barrier, if the book is the barrier or space is the barrier, you know, please kind of support your local library by um, having a you know have a look at their resources because mm. you know and also it's a space to go as well isn't it it's a space yeah. to go i mean we've had some wonderful times with our children when they're young the library space altogether. i had two of my students i did four interventions this week and i do some of them um just for 
just to catch up with some of the kids. Mm. So I used to always stay behind one of those to stay behind after school, the car park and the, and the caretakers kicking me out going, yeah. why are you not going home to go to? I like to get my school, school work done at school. But two of, two, two of my students who are struggling a little bit, that's why you know, we stay behind and, and there's a few issues about how they feel about their exams. They need confidence boost. They had a cup of tea with me. And they were so genuinely honest. And, and two boys just turned and said, we struggle to study. Yeah. And then I realized that's the reason I used to go to the library when I was their age. Because yeah. I knew when Space. I went to a the library, there was no distractions. Mm. When I'm in the library, I knew I had no other choice but to focus mm-hmm. on study. That's right. And that was a place that I could go shackle myself. And it was almost, and they literally were saying, where can we go? And I says, well, here now, you can come here to me. And they, and they admitted, this is why we're staying behind after school. Because they know that if they go home, there's too many distractions or it's not right. And there's a lot of kids like that at the moment that just don't have a place to go to study. Yeah. Or they're sharing a bedroom. And again, this is the thing we find at poverty. You know, if you're sharing room space, I shared a bedroom with, with, with one brother and then the other brother as growing up. So I never had my own personal space. I never had a desk where I could sit down and do, you know, the dinner table was that. Yeah. And I was congested with everything. But th- that's the thing. You know, That's what we find out during the likes of the pandemic is yeah. that the massive cultural capital divide and the outcomes are, are very set from a very early age. You know, when you look at all the evidence about the reading from a very, very early age. Mm. And we had a report there. It was, it was interesting about kids not being ready to go to school. And it was saying about there was a percentage of children not ready to go to school. Mm. Um, and again, I think this is the thing about our country is that we putting children into school too early. And again, the Finnish model is to put the kids in later because kids develop at different rates. I think we examine our children too young. We start to measure them too young. We start to categorize them too young and we weigh them up. And then we create this situation where some children feel left behind. Yeah. And even that language during the whole COVID pandemic was like some kids are left behind. I think we have a situation of almost three tiers in schools. And I don't like it. Every child should be equal. Every child should have an equal opportunity. Yeah. But we're living in a country which poverty is ravaging, That's child right. poverty, and the cost of living crisis yeah. is going to make this worse. And then you add schools on top of this. And we're obviously trying to be the rescuing factor that is trying to get these children out of poverty. But what do you do when your funding is cut, your staff are leaving? Mm-hmm. And literally, there I am, staying behind after school, and I've seen two examples. One who's got you know issues regarding self-worth because he's been set really high targets and he's felt he's never achieved it. Yeah. And that's because you know these targets were set as a child has made him feel inadequate against these supposed targets. And then secondly, another another child who basically, for want of a better word, it, you know, doesn't have anywhere where he can study. And there they are with me after school. And and and, and that's what we do as a job yeah. as a teacher. Now to have the likes of this government turn around and say that we don't care about children, when they don't vote for free school meals, when they cut funding, they cut CAMs, they have an exam system which breaks our children. Mm. It's That's the most heartbreaking thing. I'm yeah. literally trying to pick up the pieces of the mistakes that they've institutionally created. Yeah. And there we are trying to do our best to under, well, not supported by a government, but trying to actually rescue the damage that they're doing by their lack of policy that seems to want to help with these people yeah. i think they've just written some people off i think yeah. they just write some areas off and they just write some children off it does feel like that but obviously one of the things that you've looked at today for us brent is in the news about kind of safety um because one of the comments that came out because of the strike on wednesday um it's the first of the national strikes is on on wednesday yes and uh we one of the one of the initial things was about school safety oh. and the fact that you know by teachers being on strike and schools closed, then it will cause some safety issues. I'm just going to wind you up oh. <laughs> so you can just well, spin off and, right. and, and give me two minutes. Yeah, okay. I'll try and be succinct. I'll try. Yeah. 
So, Gillian Keegan, our, our latest education um, boss, has said that children, we're compromising children's safety by insisting that. I think she's our members. the current. Oh, the, the current. <laughs> well, you know, might, might well, considering a previous education <laughs> minister for 10 months has yeah. just been sacked for, for want of a better word, you know, being a minister in charge of taxes, but Careless. not paying his taxes. Careless mistake. Yeah, yeah, should we put him in detention? Yeah, should we? I, mean, I think he should definitely write lines. Did, did, did you see the lack of apology yeah. or contrition? If I had a child do that, I'd be sitting with that child and going, could you please tell me what you learned from this yeah, exercise? Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. how can we teach teenagers about right from wrong? And the people in charge don't know when they're partying, don't know how to pay their taxes. Yeah. Don't know, I mean, Anyway, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick yeah. to the point. Yeah, 5,000 5, lines, 5, lines for Mr. Greedy. So Gillian <laughs> Keegan has suggested, this is her, this is her line now, that's we are compromising, unions and teachers are compromising school safety. Mm -hmm. um, trying not to laugh ironically about that line about school safety, and I'll come on to that, because we're not telling, and we're following the rules, and we're not telling our head teachers who's going on strike. And the law and the rule is quite simple. You are under no obligation as a union member to let your employer know that you're going on strike. Mm -hmm. The only thing the employer has to know is that two weeks in advance, the number of people within that union. And up until the day you actually strike, you can make that decision the day before, mm -hmm. as long as you're in that union. When you're in, say, if the other union not on strike, you are not obliged to cover. They can ask you, but you're not obliged to cover for um, the, student, the, the, the union members out on strike. And of course, that's difficult for head teachers now because head teachers are. My head teacher said it to me this week. Says we've got half the staff out, yeah. but the other half of the staff instructed not to help the other half of the staff who yeah. are out. And I don't know who's in and who's out because I don't know who the union members are. And is that is that how it is? And well, that's exactly how it is. You can ask, but I've instructed my members yeah. that they're not to tell because my, as a union rep, my job is to make sure yeah. that we cause disruption and that we close the school. And equally, the head teacher's job is to ensure that he is, as the Department of Education is trying to say, to keep the school open. And that is the game of brinkmanship that goes on. No animosity between me and my head teacher or SLT, we've all been quite amicable and everybody's been professional about it. But for Gillian Keegan to turn around and then knowing these rules, these union rules, it's typical, isn't it? There's the rules, let's break the rules because we're, we're in charge. Yeah. She knows this. But then to use this school that we are putting children at risk mm -hmm. because we don't care about school safety. Let me be honest about this. Kids are not safe at school. Last week report, one in eight children don't feel safe in school. Uh, and this is from the um, Rachel D'Souza, who's actually the children's commissioner, said that she has a survey which shows that um, children don't feel safe in school at the moment because of the situation of behaviour, because of class sizes, because of the way our schools are managed at the moment, because they're overcrowded. I mean, we are literally, you know, in, in inappropriate buildings. So we have a situation where children don't feel safe at school. We've had funding cuts, CAMS cuts, we've had teachers cuts, TA cuts. All of this is filtering into schools at the moment, which are struggling. We are struggling to manage our children. 100,000 children who are not in school at the moment. We saw children disappear yeah, from home office, yeah. from home office care. 200 children have just disappeared who have come to this country for safety. And we're they're, they're saying us that children aren't safe because we have not told that we're going on strike. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And then I move on to, hold on a second, the news report this morning, absolute incendiary. The Observer reports this morning that the government's withholding the information about our crumbling schools. Tell us something we don't know. We've got asbestos in our ceilings. I mean, we don't need ventilation in some schools. We've just got the windows that aren't patched up. Mm. It's criminal in the sixth wealthiest country in the world. 
that we have schools that need 15 billion pounds to bring us to where we should be on average, not even to the future, to bring us up to the standard now, not even to future proof. And literally they're sticking plaster upon sticking plaster. And that report is absolutely damning this morning. So that's, that's I think that's on the observer, that there's a serious risk to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear. We, are, we have got some teachers now who are looking at asbestos in the workplace. There is going to be criminal proceedings if this continues. Mm. And we saw, and last thing is we saw it during COVID. Other countries had ventilation systems put in. France have just put God ventilation systems in when it's 800 parts per million. I'm walking into the classrooms all the time, it's 3,000 parts per million. And we've had we've had Karen Bales on about yeah, this. Obviously, so Karen Bales was very good. And he went through. You want to listen back to that show? He went through some of the research on that as well. If you follow us back with uh, the links that he put on Twitter at that point, uh, he looked. He, he has done a detailed look at the research into. Was it Holland or? It was. It yeah, was. Yeah. And but we know this. We, this is the thing that always breaks me. Is during COVID we were guilted to going into schools. And we had, again, the union was attacked because of, oh, the union's stopping children from learning. Mm. The union is being militant. The union's only looking out for teachers. These attack lines, disgustingly put together in order to guilt the teachers into, because what we really want, we care for the children. It's disgusting to try and use the children against us from the same people who are happy to vote against free school meals but go into a canteen in Parliament that is heavily subsidised yeah. to give themselves a 28% pay rise, while we've had, myself personally, a 26% pay cut. And frankly, this is one of the reasons why I think, mm. I'll be honest with you, so many people who I never expected, my colleagues who are very politically timid, not the type of people who go on strike, have approached me this week and said, well, I'm done with this now, it's, it's time. Mm. Uh, I don't want to go and strike, but I've got no other choice. It's been building for a while. And it's not just one thing. And if that's the response from the government to try and play the line that we don't care about children, while their actions are completely the opposite, if they cared about children, they really cared about children, they wouldn't be putting them into substandard buildings. They'd be doing something with teacher retention. They'd be doing something with pay. They'd be, they'd be, they'd be cutting cams. They'd be putting the libraries back by their actions. Their words are hollow and it's just, it's, I'm sorry. I, I'm not being political about it. Obviously, we're going to have the interview with Daniel in, yeah. in about 10 minutes after we've done the news. Uh, so that's what we'll do. And obviously, we're, we're both going to be very impartial with Daniel. Yeah. Uh, I am, I'm not, I'm not making no bones. I am a union rep myself. I feel very strongly about, about my, my, my schools, my, my school that I've loved. I've been out for 18 years. I feel, I think the country's at crossroads. Mm. I think education's at crossroads. Yeah. I, I just think something's going to have to, Something's going to have to give Some, somewhere along the line. I don't like the direction we're going yeah. in because I don't see the government currently compromising. Yeah. But likewise, we know because we've all got the internet stuff room. We know there's people who are uneasy about striking. We know there's anxiety going on. Um, so we wanted to dive into that. So I've just put onto Twitter. If anyone would like to ask either me or Brent some questions uh, or Daniel some questions about the upcoming strikes, anxieties that you have, you know, please feel free to kind of post to join, join in the show. It'd be great to call up obviously we'd love that but if you don't feel you want to do that today please send us a message yeah. um if you want to keep yourself anonymous that's also cool with us uh just say just mention it on the on the on the message that you don't want it kind of name it out we have daniel ready and ready to go so what we'll do is we'll play the news yeah. uh and then we'll come to daniel straight after you so daniel if yeah. you're there we'll come to you in about oh, six or seven minutes after our news which actually is some of the stuff that we've been talking about 
This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has addressed school leaders at the Church of England National Education Conference. In a speech that recognised the achievements of Church of England schools and of teachers and leaders in schools across the country, she defined education as something that lets you do things you couldn't beforehand. She also reflected on her own experiences of being educated in a faith school, although it was a different denomination, Catholic. She spoke about the importance of a faith which is still a core part of who I am and recognised the work of faith schools, particularly Anglican schools, and the role they play in educating young people. She described the Church of England as one of my department's most valued partners, as the largest provider of academy trusts. Ms Keegan went on to say that her department would protect the schools so that when they became academies, they retained the statutory freedoms and protections that apply to church schools. She also used the speech to comment on standards and said, I agree with the Prime Minister on maths to 18, and praised a former teacher of hers, Mr Ashcroft, who helped her realise my one opportunity. The speech was not without reference to planned industrial action by teachers in the National Education Union, when she commented that for teachers to have an impact, they need to be in school, and stated that we will be funding schools in real terms at the highest level in history. The speech closed with a statement that her door is always open, but asked that you now work with me to keep as many children in schools as possible during the disruptive strike action. Ms Keegan ended with a focus on collaboration to make sure our education system flourishes for all children. Half of state schools in England and Wales will close on Wednesday as a result of the planned industrial action, according to reports in many media outlets. The action by NEU coincides with that being taken by civil servants, university staff and train drivers. While schools may close, many will remain open to pupils identified as vulnerable or at risk, as well as some schools offering places to the children of critical workers. The latest data from the Higher Education Statistics Agency shows that the number of EU students choosing to study in the UK has dropped by half since the UK left the EU. Enrolments by EU nationals dropped by 53%, from around 64,000 to 31,000 between 2020 and 2022. Whilst the number of non-EU nationals did increase at the same time period, the data shows that the UK universities still faced significant shortfalls. The exit from the EU and the changing international fee policy saw EU student fees rise from around £9,000 to as high as 38,000. The decline has been particularly sharp in student numbers from Italy, Germany and France. 
Similar falls have been seen in Scotland, with many mourning the demise of the EU's Erasmus scheme, as well as the loss of diversity brought to courses by students from the EU. Universities UK said the changes in numbers had dented the finances of some universities and impoverished campus life. The HuffPost featured an article focusing on new data which shows that 87% of teenagers want better and more inclusive sex education. The survey by student discount app Student Beans found that 39% did not feel represented in the sex education they received. 27% of girls surveyed admitted they did not feel comfortable setting and communicating boundaries with a partner, compared to 23% of male respondents. 89% of all respondents said they did not see LGBTQIA themes in the teaching. With Generation Z having the highest percentage of non-straight people, almost double that of millennials, perhaps it's time for another review. Finally, Schools Week focuses on Ofsted's announcement on how it will conduct thematic reviews of alternative provision. Visits will take place in the spring and summer terms, with a national report out in the autumn. The visits will not result in judgments and the report will not identify local areas specifically, although they will be listed separately. There will be a focus on how AP supports children to stay in mainstream and full details are available on the Schools Week website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about GDPR, an acronym that has bounded around and caused quite a stir when it was first introduced back in 2018. GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation and it's governed by the ICO, which is the Information Controller's Office, an independent body set up by the government to uphold information rights. Ah, thanks Steve, that's crystal clear now, I hear you say. What does it mean? the general classroom teacher. Well, your school will have a policy, which you will have signed somewhere to say you've read it. If you haven't, it might be worth taking a look. In it, there'll be an outline of measures to protect data and usually a process of investigation in the event of a data breach. A data breach in a school is when personal data is compromised and a person can be identified, for example, first name and last name. In a school, Breaches can be as serious as the introduction of ransomware where data is locked by a cyber attack or as simple as the wrong letter being sent to the wrong carers. Now the question is how do we protect ourselves? First, if you're still wandering around with the USB pen hanging off your lanyard, make sure it's encrypted. There is lots of free encryption software around. If you can, migrate your data into the school's cloud. This puts the onus back on the school to keep the data safe. It's also backed up regularly. I know what you'll say next. If I'm in the cloud and the internet goes down, I can't get my planning. Yes, you're correct, but your school laptop will be encrypted, so you can save current files locally to enable working offline. If you have a machine with a small memory like a Chromebook, sync what you need and leave the rest in the cloud. With the top ads on a search for school data breach, all reading claim around £10,000 today. Obviously, no win, no fee. Do you want to cost your school that much money? I'll leave you with this. If you take a digital register and display it while you take it, could it be classed as a data breach? As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, some really interesting uh, points on today's today's news. Um, particularly, I was 
I've just been doing a piece of work at my school around uh, ransomware, and there's some really interesting stuff on the uh, government website to help schools um, uh, on this, uh, because obviously we don't want to cause um, the school network to shut down. Obviously, I don't know about you, Brent, but so much of my stuff now is online anyway. But I think there's some sound advice there, particularly around uh, storing your um, mark sheets and etc. on the on the cloud, and then obviously the onus is on the school then. Um, which most schools will have uh, clear policies on how to store data and that type of thing. So uh, some really good advice on there. And um, if you really want to get back in contact with the guys at Teacher Talk Radio about uh, a data breach or putting your register on, on the board and how how easy is that to do? And sometimes you have to quickly just pull out the kind of cord very quickly. Uh, I know some software do have that kind of projection, projector view. Um, so you can kind of have that on. Um, but um... yeah, so uh, we've got to come to Daniel now. So I think Daniel, you are connected. If you, you can hear us, can you hear us? I can hear you. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. You, so the big question I want to start with is: Are you a salt and vinegar or cheese and onion guy? I'm guessing those are cheese and onion. <laughs> Very good question. Um, uh, it depends on the mood. Actually, tends to be. Uh, Salt and vinegar generally, and then oh. if I'm having a beer, che- cheese and onion with beer tends to be the the, the choice. Uh, good choice. Good, good choice. Because we, we, we thought Guinness, we heard some actually. rustling in the background. Oh, Guinness, oh yeah, Guinness, Guinness goes with everything. Whilst we heard some rustling in the background, I thought, is he having a cheeky cheeky packet of crisps there? So I thought I'd ask him the, the quick icebreaker. Is it? Uh, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't go for prawn cocktail. No, no, you wouldn't go for that. But I knew you'd be a salt and vinegar or cheese and onion man. For, for, for me now, I don't think I'll ever go back. To anything but the max fiery prawn cocktail crisps they're oh. absolutely they're next level i think with no. the beer. well i'm just gonna put in my my, my, my two pence of irish tato crisps okay but the problem is you've got northern ones and yeah. you've got southern ones and that's just that that's a whole different ball game so thank you daniel and, and well yeah should we get serious <laughs> yeah we'll get serious now we're, we're, we're out of the, we're out of that phase yeah. and we're into the, the serious stuff now so first of all thank you for coming on and congratulations on your nomination and i'd also like to say thank you personally as well i've had kevin on and if I ever spoke to Mary, I'd say the same thing to Mary. I uh, had uh, Karen Bales on as well. I think all you guys uh, in the national executive, president, uh, everybody involved in uh, the leadership of the NEU the last couple of years have been a tough thing. But thank you personally, because during COVID, it, you guys did very well for the staff. And I know that's one of the reasons why union membership has increased. I know that my union membership has increased in the last seven years by three times. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is, yeah, yeah. well, it's academization plus it's the fact that during the darkest days of COVID, you, you guys were fighting for us, uh, and that's appreciated. So th- thanks for that. I thought I'd start with that personally. Well, so- that's very kind. That's very kind indeed. I mean, it was a, it was an intense time and an intense learning experience for all of us, for Kevin, Mary, uh, myself, the national executive. Um, and I'm just glad we got through it, really, um, because we clearly had a government that didn't value the lives of ordinary people. No, I think we we felt that we were expendable. I, I, I use the analogy as an historian of the troops in the First World War with the lions led by donkeys. You know, we were sent over the top and told false information. Just it was plainly obvious that we, we were seen as some national babysitting service rather than as serious academic professionals that we are. And I think, again, that helped undermine. And, and, and again, I think that's one of the reasons we are in the situation we're in because yeah. we, got, we, we got them exposed to exactly how they really feel about us and I think that's one of the reasons why people have joined the union. So tell us a little bit about your teaching background and what drives you. 
Oh, what drives me and my teaching background? Well, I'm a primary teacher. I trained as a, 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 a primary teacher at the start of the, the a, a time in a change of government. So I've only actually ever taught through 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 conservative. Oh, were we? You there, Daniel? Have we lost it? Oh. Actually, in a school for EBD, it was called at the time. We uh, know it as SEMH. And I spent my yeah. first six years of teaching at a lovely SEMH school just outside Wall's End, where I really sort of learned my trade, teaching primary children who um, had been removed from mainstream education because they demonstrated ex quite extreme behaviour. Uh, from there, I um, went to London and taught in early years in a mainstream primary school, a absolutely outstanding, it was outstanding by Ofsted, which I don't take much attention to, uh, but it was an absolutely outstanding school uh, in London, just so vibrant, uh, multicultural, there was such an excellent ethos, it was progressive. So I spent some time teaching early years in nursery in particular there. Um, and then now I'm teaching secondary maths. Um, so I've done quite a... <laughs> Rishi, Rishi's gonna I'm love probably... you. Uh, does, does Rishi know this? <laughs> well, absolutely. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure that his uh, idea of pushing maths until 18 is a is a good one, particularly as we've got a huge shortage of maths teachers at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's that's very much my sort of educational uh, experience from early years to key stage four. I've taught in SEND. Um, but what what really drives me personally is a, is a few things. I've got a, a full four-year-old son who's just started reception this year um, and I want him to go through an education system that has creativity joy and a love of learning at its center without a doubt um, so he is a very big personal driver for me and then um, I'm very much driven um, by by the by the fight against injustice and for equality really I want every child to have the best start in life um, I've spent a long time opposing uh, sort of well before I even became a union rep uh, and certainly ever before I became a trade union general secretary candidate I've three key things I've, I've opposed war I've opposed racism and I've opposed poverty so all through the days of cuts I was organizing against library closures uh, because essentially I want working class people and working class children to have the best. I think there's an imbalance in this country. I think uh, that wealth is concentrated amongst uh, the hands of a few. And um, I believe that, you know, every child has the right to what those children at Eton have. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 what drives me. And that's my educational background, really. No, I could see I, the thing is, I, I'm working class myself. There are a lot of people like us in education, but, you know, education is such a broad church, isn't it? So some people would share that view. Yeah. Others would obviously not share that view. And, and of course, that's that's it's important to know the motivation behind it, because that's the reason I'm still a teacher is, is trying to get those children over the line, uh, regardless of who they are, but yeah. being a similar background myself, I've, I've had discrimination all, all throughout my life until obviously the only the only way out of it was education, which drove me into um, So it strikes a chord what you're trying to say there, Daniel. Um, union background then, so that's your teaching background and what's driven you, and obviously I've got a four-year-old myself and I know exactly what you're saying about it. It makes you better and worse, doesn't it? It makes you more yeah. sensitive to things, it makes you more driven. 
but it makes you obviously identify a lot more sometimes with parents. You, you see the other side when you're a parent in the education system, don't you? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's, it is interesting. I, I, I'd say I've been a better teacher since I became a parent. Not to say that I wasn't a good teacher beforehand, but just gives you that little bit of a roundness of sometimes a bit more patience and tolerance sometimes when you realize that there are a couple of sides to it and, and, and just to help that. So union background, Dan Daniel, how did you um, get involved with the union and then how have you progressed up through the union then? Well, I started with becoming a rep um, at my at that first school in the northeast that I taught at. And that sort of happened a bit by accident, really. Um, you just sort of got a knack for it. People, what I found was colleagues looked to me uh, to uh, try and overcome any sort of problems within within, within their, their working life. We were very lucky, actually, uh, in the sense that we had a, a, a union supportive head. So I became became the rep uh, within the school and we formed a very, very good union group that would work with with uh, senior leaders to ensure that the school was the best it could possibly be for, for the staff and for the children. And from there, um, I got more active in my district, obviously attending the district meetings and, 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 and things and attending national conference and, you know, getting that sort of confidence to make your first speeches around pay and workload uh, and professional control. Um, and, and from there, really, then um, I sort of got encouraged to stand for the executive. And uh, the, 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 the way that the union works is there's um, equality seats. So there is a, a black members uh, executive member, a disabled members executive member, an LGBT members executive member. And I sort of have a, had a, quite a long track record in the northeast in particular of, of fighting the far right and fighting racism. Uh, you know, sort of organised lots of demonstrations and uh, mobilisations against National Action, the British National Party, National Front, the English Defence League and so on. So uh, when that seat for the black members constituency uh, seat holder came available, the person was stepping down, uh, black members and other members of the union started to look to me to sort of run for election in that role. Um, because not only was I a teacher, a trade union rep active in my district, but I also had sort of a, a strong background in in sort of fighting, fighting against uh, racism, which was, you know, rising very much so at the time and uh yeah i i happened to win that election um and spent a, a good few years on the executive then it was initially on the nut and then when we merged uh, uh obviously in the on the neu uh, and i was really lucky um because i was able to sort of uh combine sort of passions around um uh, a more equal, you know, the, the fight for a more equal and equitable education system um, and, and take that onto the national executive and bring through things like the anti-racist charter for schools, which got rolled out um, in 2019. Uh, we started to raise the decolonizing agenda around curriculum uh, and ensure that the uh, union had quite a strong anti-racist current running through it. And then from there, um, you know, people asked me to, to run for president and it was it was very much, you know, um, uh, uh, something that I was encouraged to do by my colleagues. And, yeah, we happened to win that election. And, and it was um, an incredibly crazy time because I took up post at the start of the pandemic as uh, senior vice president and then have been a national officer for, for the last 
last three years working alongside Kevin and Mary, the national executive, um, through what's really been the most challenging time for our profession, our, our trade union, and of course our children. So um, it's been a really, it's been a, a sizable and varied uh, trade union career. And yeah, and it's, it's, it's led to me being uh, one of the candidates for general secretary. Yeah, fantastic. Thank yeah, you. Fantastic. Man. Thank you. We were saying uh, earlier that we've been teachers, for instance, since 2004, 2005. Is that when you started? 2003. Two so you picked me by just one year. Yeah. But even my wife was commenting the other week about kind of how, how different things seem to be with the, with the workload that we've got and the expectations and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, but obviously from Wednesday, you could see that as a start, a start of um, yeah, the, the, the strike day as a start. What do you what think do you is the end game here for, for unions and teachers? And do you, what does success look like um, over the next couple of weeks, months um, against the government? Well, success for me looks like Gillian Keegan coming to the table uh, with a deal on Monday uh, when she meets Kevin and Mary that is uh, fair and just for teachers and for support staff and for a fair funding settlement for 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 our schools actually i i don't want us to take strike action on wednesday uh, because i want this dispute settled when they meet tomorrow um that's what real success uh, looks like um i believe but ultimately we know that the education system can't continue as it is you know as parents as teachers we know that there is a significant issue with the quality of education that children have access to because of the recruitment and retention crisis that exists and we know that that is driven by um low uh, well continued pay cuts uh, inadequate funding but we also know that this strike is a deeper expression of anger isn't it it's an expression of anger at those high workloads at the ruthless ruthless inspectorate in Ofsted uh, and in obviously the the rocketing levels of child poverty that we're seeing in our in our classrooms and every day um so success for me looks like you know we don't go on strike on Wednesday because there is a a good deal uh, but regardless I don't think uh, members uh, or the profession's determination will waver if they don't. And if we have to go on strike on Wednesday, uh, then we shall. And that will continue until the, the government come to uh, an adequate solution. But look, I, I, I pushed for this action um, from the national executive uh, from the beginning. As, as national president, uh, I was saying that we're in, entering an inflationary period, that things are going to get incredibly tough and challenging for working people, and that we are going to have to uh, speak into the government in a language that they understand. And that is one of uh, action. Unfortunately, change does not come from uh, the, the, the small conversations, the backroom conversations that we've had with ministers of state or politicians. It comes from a, a trade union that campaigns, that organises and that ultimately is prepared to take action uh, so that, you know, our children and our profession get what they deserve. Do you want to come in there, Brent? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think we can win? And do, yeah, I'm confident. Yeah. Do you think? Because I, I, I'll be honest, I'll give you my theory and you can, you can yeah. agree or disagree. Hmm. I think they're currently trying to bait us. I think they're currently trying to create a narrative of the militant left. I think they're looking I think they're looking for a fight. Now judge that from the way that they've handled the other union strikes as well. 
because I think as a government, they, they basically have nothing much left except the anti-woke agenda and this, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I do I do think, um, not the judging a lot of my staff, the longer this goes on, the tougher it's going to get for us. And I think that's what we're going to have to dig in deep. Um, and that might be tough for us in the big profession that we are. But I do believe, and, and you can you can agree or disagree, that, that that's what I want to sort of see what you think. Do, do you think they're going to negotiate? Or do you believe, what would there be the point how far do you think they will go? How far do you think we may have to go? Because um, four mm-hmm. strikes, some people have said, one strike, yeah, two strikes, three, four. So as long as it goes on, I don't know whether the will is there. I might be wrong. So what's your read mm-hmm. on that? So my feeling is that our argument's cutting through generally. Um, I think parents understand what we do as a profession. I think uh, our communities, particularly after COVID, understand have a better understanding of what we do as a profession. And, you know, the government did try to to break has tried to break any trade union that's taken industrial action. They've tried it with Mick Lynch and the RMT and they've done it with the postal workers and and, and so on. But look, when you look at the press at the moment, the attacks are highly personalised on individual trade union leaders, uh, individual individuals in the leadership of our, our union, whether it's, you know, Bolshevik, Bausted, Commie, Courtney, Hard Left, Kebedi. Um, they're, they're, they're personal... They're very personalised attacks, and that is purely because they aren't have not got a counter argument to the things that we are saying and demanding. When Catherine Burble Singh is on uh, Sunday morning television alongside Mary Bowstead, agreeing with what Mary's saying, we know that the argument. Uh, is cutting through. We know that they don't have an answer to it. The only solution to this is a, a fair, a, a fair settlement of uh, adequate pay and funding. And uh, there are, you know, they can demonise individuals as much as they want, but I don't think fundamentally that is going to cut through. People know there's an education in crisis. We can all see it. We've got thousands of buildings in need of repair. We have got, you know, school staff using uh, food banks. We've got, um, you know, we are experiencing what the rest of working people is experiencing. But fundamentally, I do think what we do, the the only real victory will come if we all start to win. So we're going to, we're seeing the, the, the rail workers start to settle elements of their dispute. Well, that's positive for us. Um, and we will see the same for, for, for nurses. You know, we want everybody to have a, a decent standard of living and uh, to be able to, to be able to, to afford the basics that they, everybody, each and every one of us deserve. But in terms of my confidence, I think the government's attacks and the you know, mainstream media's attacks at the moment, you know, from the government supporting press, as I call them, rather than, you know, anything else like that, uh, are fairly weak. Individual, you know, targeting individuals on things they've done or said a long time ago or already apologised for. And, um, you know, they're doing that because... Actually, they don't want to talk about the bread and butter issues. They don't want to talk about pay declining 24%. They don't want to talk about rocketing workloads. They don't want to talk about inadequate funding uh, because they know it's terrain that they'll lose on. Yeah. Can, can I just come back to you on, on that figure? Because um, obviously that, that, that figure has been queried, the, um, the 20, 23% uh, figure, because obviously it's different for different teachers at different stages in their careers. Uh, yeah. how, how have any of you come to that figure? Can you just explain... A little bit about kind of that figure in particular and why and why that figure is important so it's the rpi decline 
So the retail price index, so how much things cost in in uh, in the shops, how you know the real impact, the real terms impact, you know how your pay has compared to you know the products that you're buying and the bills that you are paying, and in fact, I think really it's quite a conservative figure this year when you are looking at uh you know a few few you know how much has your gas and energy bill gone up in the last three years um you know how much have we seen petrol rise how much have we seen pasta go up you know uh, it's quite a conservative figure when you consider actually the day-to-day things that people buy like food and energy have gone up far more than 24 percent you know pasta's up 50 percent um my energy bill has gone up 300 percent in three years so you know if that's the reality yeah. for people. Yeah. You need to do your dad job more and start turning off the lights. Like yeah. I'm in a minute, just running around after my kids, just turning the lights off. I calculated mine, actually. Mm. What's what's mine? As an experienced teacher, 20 odd years. What, your pay? Yeah. 20, 20%? 26. 26%. And as I, I've said to, to um, people who've asked me, it's 26% pay down at a time of my life when I need to be earning more mortgage, yeah. children, all the rest of it. Life gets more expensive as you get older, doesn't it? Um, but also that as well, I should be getting progression as I get older because I'm doing more work than I've ever done as a teacher. Yeah. So I have a double whammy there of increased workload at a time in my life when I should be enjoying spending more time with my children and getting less yeah. for it. And and that's the sort of thing which brings me on to, to talking about Catherine um, Verbal thing. She, she interesting now. She's also come up with something that um, a couple of people talking the other night were talking on, about the strikes on our on a radio show, and and they were asking the question: Have we pitched the actual strike correctly on paying conditions, um, or is it more the majority of teaching staff are more interested in the workload, the behaviour, the the lifestyle, just all the other stuff, the school buildings? There's so many issues in school, Daniel, aren't there? There's I, I could. We'd be here all day because yes. I think everything is wrong. But we, we've sort of pitched it at pay. And some have questioned that that really is a bit of a gift to the opposition to this, that they will pay. They'll, they'll make us out to be the greedy teachers. And we have a cushy number 13 weeks a year. You, you, get the, you get the teacher bingo out, the teacher bashing bingo out. Um, but she, she suggests and says, you know, teachers are more worried about the workload. They're more worried about uh, school safety, school behavior, and, and overwhelmed by bureaucracy. So what's what's your take on that, whether the pitch that we have about the pay is the correct mm-hmm. angle we take? Well, I'm, I'm, the nature of trade union legislation um, means that we can only take uh, national industrial action on pay in terms and conditions. So uh, that 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 really is why there is that that sort of claim going into the government. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to take uh, strike action against child poverty, for example. But unfortunately, you know, legislation does not allow that. You know, we have very restrictive trade union legislation. But the primary demand of the union is is fair funding for, for schools. You know, we've all seen, and my head teacher is no different, uh, our head struggle this year because there's been a 5% pay award, which is below inflation and a real terms pay cut. But that also has to come out of existing school budgets, which are yeah. already funded below 2010 levels. I think what we really do have to fight on uh, and make sure is the, the, the thing that we are talking about uh, um, significantly is, is, is the, the issue around funding. But of course, we know that this is a deeper expression of anger. So there is some, that, you know, I do, I, 
Yes, hate to say it, dare to agree with Catherine, Catherine Burble Singh, not so much on the behaviour, but, you know, around the bureaucracy and around the, the workloads and the fulfil, the fulfilment of pointless tasks that we all have to do to, to satisfy uh, Ofsted. Um, it can be highly demoralising. So people would have put a tick in the yes to action box for a number of reasons, pay and funding, of course. Uh, but, you know, there will be a myriad of uh, concerns that our members face. And we certainly know that as a union. Yeah, because that's the thing I, 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 I just want. I, I'm defending I'm defending the profession, the union, my colleagues all the time. Um, and you get the usual, you've got a custody number. People think it's 1980s and we're still, we're still teaching in those days where you retired at a certain age. And I don't think that the, the, the public are starting to catch on a little bit after what they saw during COVID. For instance, this week, my head teacher said to me, not one parent in the school that I'm currently going to be closing um, has complained about the strikes. And, and I offered yeah. even to have a, a, a parent's evening to face up to the parents and say, I don't mind engaging with them. Um, but it's that national conversation that needs to be had that how we open this up from pay. How do we then turn this from, yes, we're, we're, we, we can only really pick this issue to go and strike about, but how are we going to cut through that we open it up about the classroom safety, about the air quality, about the funding, about the lack of TAs, about the recruitment retention, about the, you know, if you had a Maslow hierarchy of schools, you know, and, and, and the problem you see is that Keir Starmer is talking about, you know, fr around the edges, fringe funding when it comes to public schools. He's messing around with that. Gillian Keegan's, t you know, talking very, very little at the moment. And, and Rishi Sunak's talking about Mads at 18. How do we get the general public to really, really rally behind us? Because that's who really we are trying to get the support of. And if, again, if we're not careful with but the strike action, we run the risk of losing the hearts and minds. So what I'm really saying is, Daniel, how do we win the hearts and minds argument without annoying the core people who we're actually trying to help? The key is parents. You know, every child, every parent wants their child to go to a school that's got adequate funding, where the, the class sizes aren't too big. And we've got the biggest class sizes in Europe, where they're going to have a, a teacher who's properly professionally qualified and a subject specialist uh, and at the moment we don't have that do we we have huge class sizes we have uh, many students taught by non-subject uh, specialists particularly in maths and science and ICT I think it's about a third of ICT lessons now are taught by a teacher without a, 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 um, a relevant qualification you know that we aren't just on strike at the moment over our pay this that the whole uh, concept of comprehensive education is at stake. And I think when we talk to parents about those issues, they're on our side. And I think that's why you won't have had any parents complain. In fact, I know at my son's school, there's been a number of uh, letters go in in support of, in support mm. of the strike. Um, because, you know, enough is very much enough. Education's in crisis. Our parents know it. Uh, they want the best for their children, and we have to speak to people on those terms. Yeah, I mean, you, you like this. I, I'm, I'm proof of your evidence. I am teaching four subjects at the moment, including physics, <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm saying I'm just glad that gravity is still there. I'm just very glad that Newton's laws still exist because I haven't done physics since I was 16 years old. You've not taught gravity at all. <laughs> I, I, I think anything I've not taught, I, I did a supply lesson recently in French, 
which was hilarious, trying to do French with a Northern Irish accent. So <laughs> God knows how that came across to be perfect. I think people with my accent be allowed to speak foreign languages, to be honest with you, because God knows what the children would be saying. But yeah, you're, you're, that's absolutely correct. And I am an, an example myself of being asked to, because I love my school and, and they, they, they're short of, of somebody and I'm a body and I, I can I can cope with the kids and say, I'll do it. I expected to teach biology as a geographer. I have a geography background as well as a history background, but there's yeah. a need for physics. So I'm, I'm literally having to spend some evenings, sit down and, and learn physics as I go along. And, and I do the best I can. And that's the thing. It has a knock-on effect for me. But equally, the children have been, been kind enough to me. They know I'm not a specialist, but it's not really fair in the sixth wealthiest country in the world that we're having to people like myself having to fill the gap because we have such a yeah. shortfall. And it isn't about the funding. It is about the fact that recruitment's not there. And it's not about the money. It's about the workload, the bureaucracy, the academization, the, and we've seen this this week as well about, you know, depending on the school you're in depends on how, how your relationship was with your head teacher and how some academies have seen some of the letters that some academies have sent out and some have been quite harsh on their members others haven't and it's been a very busy week for a lot of reps and you know being an ex-rep yourself so what we'll do is we'll, we've, we've talked about the strike and i think we'll come, come back to that in a couple of weeks time because we'll see how the first strike goes and we'll see what the hopefully they negotiate so what we'll move on to now because obviously we'll run out of time is we want to talk now about your potential president, pre, general, <laughs> yes, Mr. President, your potential, you've already been the president, your general secretary. Um, I, I have to phonics Daniel with Brent for about half an hour before. Brain, brain, <laughs> brain, words, words, brain. Um, so yes, you, you are running to be the single general secretary uh, following both Kevin and Mary, who I like to affectionately call Uncle Kevin, Auntie Mary, because those two yeah. have been absolutely brilliant uh, and and I, I again I have nothing but the highest regard and praise for for both because they have led the union through and they've got to be extremely proud and I'm sure my first question to you about that is what have you learned from Kevin and Mary well I mean I've, I've learned an immense amount actually um so I suppose uh, I've, I've been under Kevin's wing for a, a, a long a long time uh, and I only got to know Mary post merger, and then, of course, got to know her closely uh, as a national officer. And so, working alongside them throughout the uh, most challenging time for our, our union during the pandemic over the last three years, and then obviously our response to the the cost of living crisis, and of course, national strike action. I still remain a national officer working in the, the, the senior leadership team um, with them in the, the national officers group. Uh, I've, I've learned a huge, a huge amount. And I think, um, you know, the, the most important thing that I've learned from Kevin is that you, you know, well, he says, Daniel, you've got to speak to, you've got to speak to the mass of people. Um, and that's, you know, we, we, you know, he's always encouraged me to try and convince the unconvincible. And I think that's what I would love to sort of con continue as a, if elected, you know, you know, Kevin's very good at winning those who are hostile to uh, education or to, to, to trade unions. From Mary, I've really learned her attention, you know, the attention to detail that Mary has on government documents, on, uh, you know, what various reports um, are immense. And of course, that equipped her to be so well uh, uh, versed when she
takes on the, the, the national press and media on TV. So it's been a real privilege to work alongside them um, and to know them and to go through the experience of what we've gone through for the last three years together, really. Yeah, because it, 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 I'd say they're partly the one of the reasons why I, this week that I've spoken to some of my members who, as I say, are not normally people who would normally think about striking. But because the yeah. union has been, I, I would believe, a catch-all, a moderate union, a, a union that has a broad church, um, yeah. and partly because you know, the, the wider appeal of both Kevin and Mary, and, and yes, they have had you know some criticism from some of the press who've tried to, to, to paint stuff on them. But the thing is with Kevin and Mary, it's very difficult because of their, their attitude, the way they are, the well, they're just very, very good. They're very hard for them to be, I suppose, the, what's the word for you, um, discredited. Um, which brings me on to, and you know where I'm going to go with this, okay? So bear with me. You tweeted something. So I'm going to ask you. I yeah. You know it's coming. And you, you tweeted about Ukraine, and and it caused a bit of a furore. So yeah. in, in, in the spirit of being a teacher, because I am yeah. and I've always am, do you regret tweeting that? Or do you believe if you were the General Secretary of the Union, would you tweet it again or do you regret? I just basically want to get your feeling of it. Do you think, you know what, in hindsight now looking back at that, I, don't, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. So what's your general feeling on that? Do you think, you know, you learned a lesson from that? Do you think, you know, as we all grow, we all make mistakes, do you think that you could grow from that or would you do it again? Well, I mean, it's... Uh... I've got mixed feelings when I get asked about this, right? And being honest with you uh, now. So that statement was a huge statement. Now that, nas that national presidents don't get, do, do not have the authority to write uh, union statements. So a, a union statement got published that is drafted by two people more senior than the president. And I put that out on Twitter. Now, I, 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 I regret, uh, I regret putting it out, obviously, absolutely. I think uh, as if I was general secretary on such a issue as Ukraine, I would seek uh, agreement from the executive before putting out any statement. But my personal view on Russia and Ukraine is Russia's invasion cannot and should not be justified. And that the brutality of that invasion is shocking. I think that Ukraine's got the right to defend its territories. And I do think, and I think most people share this view, that it's ordinary people who pay the, the highest price at times of war and all efforts should be made to bring the conflict to an end on just terms. So that's my personal views on Ukraine. Do I regret the, the uh, putting out the union statement? Uh, yes. Would I do it again? Uh, no, I would seek uh, agreement from the national executive on statements on such significant issues as, as Ukraine. Do I think it's fair, some of the criticism that I've come under for something that I didn't write, shared and deleted very quickly? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but mm -hmm. 
my personal view is Russia's invasion can't be justified and it shouldn't be justified and the brutality of the invasion is shocking. Um, and would I do things differently in the future? Absolutely. So following from that, and I know what the answer is going to be, I'm going to ask you, Yeah. are you prepared? And I know you've said your background and everything else, but are you prepared to take, obviously, the you know the storm of criticism is going to get? You mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Comrade Courtney. They, they haven't come up with a good one for you yet. They probably will, Daniel. But you know it's coming. And you, you said it yourself, it's going to get personal. And they yeah. might get personal. Are, are you prepared for that, you know, vitriol and that that trolling and the attack? You know, because, look, I, I'm involved in politics myself. I know how difficult it is. They chip away at you, yeah. they chip away at you. It's really tough. And it takes a mental toll. It really does, Daniel. It takes a it mental does, toll yeah. out of you. Are you ready, really prepared to step up, put your head above the parapet and be that? Because that's what both Kevin and Mary have done. They've, they've taken a lot of flack, taken that flack on their shoulders. Which they have absolutely. In, yeah. So you now you're going to be a one single single sort of um, union leader as opposed to the mm -hmm. two. Um, so how are you going to take with the job that those two have done and take the flag that they've taken? How are you going to do that as a single union leader? Well, look, I'm fundamentally driven uh, by the desire to lead a union that improves the material conditions, the material lives of our members and our children. And that's why I pushed for national strike action over the issue of pay and funding, because I genuinely felt that not enough was enough, uh, that it was the only language that the government was going to, to listen to. And I, I knew full well that, you know, we'd all be dragged through the press for it, but we have to uh, turn the tide and not manage the decline in education. As a general secretary, I will not be prepared to manage the decline in education that has unfolded after the, the, the under the past decade. Now, do I expect to be attacked for that and vilified for it? Yes, absolutely. Am I ready for it? Uh, will it phase me? Absolutely, it will not phase me. And you know what we have to remember is that we are a trade union that reps, represents, you know. God, God knows what our membership figures are now, but, you know, <laughs> 350, well, it's 450,000 members in total. Uh, and we are have to be the voice of our children. So any personal, I've got, I had a very good friend, David Hopper, Davy Hopper. Davy Hopper was the uh, General Secretary, President of the National Union of Mine Workers in County Durham. And he died in 2016, tra tragically. But he was someone that I very much looked up to, up, looked up to. And he used to say, if the press attack you, it means you're doing something right. There are those within, you know, the, the government supporting press who want a passive union. Uh, and they want that because what they want to be able to do is continue a programme of pay cuts, of funding erosion and of uh, privatisation. And, um, you know, as a general secretary, I would not prepared, be prepared to allow that. And then I don't, I would encourage our profession not to be prepared to allow that also. Mm. Um, so that was a very good question. But am I, am I ready? <laughs> am, I, am I prepared? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Well, it's I mean, a job interview, you know, I, that's I mean, the thing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been through the pandemic where I was in the Daily Mail 
alongside Kevin and Mary and uh, Louise Regan and Rachel Curley, and it called us the enemies of children. You know, I I feel a bit well. I've, I feel like I've got a bit of a thick thicker skin to it now. Yeah. So you've done your apprenticeship, then you've you've learned, you've evolved. Uh, you've made mistakes, you, you're contrite about it, unlike, say, for instance, <laughs> members of the current government who just yeah. basically gaslight us, don't they? And, and, and that's, and that, it's humbling when you get people, I mean, that's the thing we ask of our children, isn't it? The thing I always ask of, of my colleagues is that we got to model what we ask of our young people. And that is sometimes we got to lead by example, don't we? So if you are leading by example, then you've got more chance of leading the union and it's growing from the sounds of it. If you are to be the next leader of the union, it's 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 going to be a bigger union, which brings me nicely into one of your visions. Um, you a big strict strict question for you. Do you think that teachers should be in one union? Yes, I uh, am a passionate believer in professional unity, and I would like to see a single union that represents all teachers, support staff, and supply educators. Um, and I'm very much determined, really, to build stronger relationships with NASUWT if elected so that we can achieve that. Um, you know, if we are able to unite every staff room, we can have one voice, can't we? And fundamentally, I think that would lead to less, uh, fewer strikes, fewer days of action uh, moving forward, because you would hope that we'd be a union so strong and united, uh, representing the whole profession, that the government would have to listen to us first time of asking. Um, so I do believe in professional unity. I'm a passionate believer in it. And um, it was is most definitely something that I'd be working for, well, something that I've already worked for, uh, but continue to work for as, as general secretary. And, you know, particularly strengthening our work with uh, NAHT, uh, ASCOL, um, and uh, also the support staff unions in Unison, GMB and Unite, but particularly NASUWT as well. If we if we were able to to have all teachers in the same union, we would just be such a powerful voice for education yeah. and for our children. I mean, the thing about support staff is I've uh, I've increased my um, union memberships and some support staff from zero to to nine. And in fact, uh, one third of my membership happens to be from. Um, support staff and I feel really really so sorry for them that they didn't get their vote over the line because they are the people yeah. who are at the lowest and 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 I had one of my colleagues recently said to me their child their son teenage son earns more in a supermarket than they do doing the vital job that they do with you know children Bessie Andy and you know you've done that job so I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that about support and obviously embracing our colleagues in the support unions as well, uh, sorry, in, in, the, in the likes of TAs and support uh, staff in schools. Question for you then is, you're unapologetically of the left and you are endorsed by the NEU left and you're popular within the grassroots, so you, you've got a very strong base there. And you, it's, everything you're saying is driven from, you know, you, you, you would say, you'd call yourself a socialist and be proud of that, and I, I would myself. How yeah. do you then envisage that you will be able to unite and bring the broad church of everybody behind all of that, knowing, you know, of course, we have so many diverse individuals within every staff room. As you said, you want to unite staff rooms. I, I've been doing that this week. 
And it's really it's a tough job when you have people yeah. of different ages, different backgrounds, different reasons for coming into education. And, and, and again, you and I have a commonality and many others do. But how do you yeah. broaden that out? Yeah. So I think it's a really important, I think it's a really important thing, actually, to reach out uh, to, um, to to people who may not necessarily be of your political uh, persuasion. I mean, it's something actually I had to do in the movements against racism all the time. We'd always wanting to be working with uh, politicians, regardless of what party, uh, you know, when, 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 when we were organising around racism. And I've kept that philosophy in, in the trade union. But look, I, I have been very lucky, you know, I've, I've never hidden my politics. I'm a socialist, absolutely. I want to see a society where there is world-class health service for everybody, decent homes, children fed and sheltered and have everything they need. Those are my sort of core principles. But I've been very lucky in the trade union that I've been able to work consistently throughout the, the union and beyond. And that essentially what is what did lead to the 101 nominations i did not get 101 nominations just from the minority and they are a minority of of of, of the left 101 no district nominations came from activists who uh would not would not necessarily identify with the left who may come from a who may support a different political party i know there were lib dems and greens who who uh, worked to have me uh, nominated and um also, you know, I've been very lucky to have a lot of ATL legacy uh, support, um, particularly amongst their support staff, um, because I was, you know, very supportive of the strikes uh, in Durham for, for when they were having their pay cuts, but also from people like uh, Hank Roberts, who is ATL um, past president. Um, I want to continue sort of very much in the vein of Kevin and Mary in Steve Sinnott's uh, also previously of a union that is for everyone, regardless of your political background. We are a union that will work together in the interests of um, children and of education. And what I find actually is it doesn't matter if they're a socialist or not. They all tend to want, you know, the ideas that I have are pretty widespread. You know, we, we want a supportive inspect spectra. We want manageable workloads. We want fair pay. We want decent, decent funding. These aren't, you know, uh, you know, hard left ideas at all. And, you know, I, as, as a national officer and national president, I've been very lucky to work with politicians as well of all persuasion. I mean, there's a lovely photo of me and uh, Robin Bevan, actually, uh, that's went about not that long ago of me and Nadim Zahawi, you know, we're quite prepared to, to work with people. Um, and But the focus will be on a union that improves the lives of members and children. Okay, Over the past uh, we've had uh, Lee Strom from uh, Chesterfield, Daniel, who's got a quick question for you. He said, uh, over 30,000 people have joined NEU recently. Uh, what should yeah. the union be doing to organise these new members and empower them yeah well i think that i mean it it, it shows firstly it just shows a depth of feeling doesn't it the strength of feeling amongst our profession when we've got thirty thousand uh new members the union needs to be uh, and it is organizing uh, these new members around strike committees uh and around uh, the dispute 
that actually there has to be a long-term plan around how we organize uh, these members and that 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 is unfolding we want to see members engaged in our union at a really active level and that's not just in terms of like attending district meetings and you know uh, taking part in the democratic structures of the trade union but also we want them to be part of that movement for change, don't we? Involved in our campaigns against child poverty, involved in our campaigns against toxic testing, involved in our campaigns against Ofsted and so on. Because, you know, we've got quite a ruthless government at the moment. I think uh, we would all agree uh, on that. Um, and we aren't going to get the things that we want in education just by asking. And I said this in my video, we're not even gonna get these things that we want from a Labour government just by asking. We really need a strong and united union that can make the case for change. So members' participation, not only in the democratic structures of the union, uh, but also in terms of our campaigns moving forward is vitally important. How, how do you feel about the support that you're getting from the Labour Party at the moment? Because well, it was, it was, uh, the shadow secretary was on Coonsburg this morning, and you know was was doing that thing again when she was flip flopping around you know, support. Yeah. Um, how do you personally feel about that? Would you like them to be more uh, supportive? Look, I would love the Labour front bench to be supporting every worker standing up in uh, struggle for a better life. Um, absolutely, that is what I would personally like. Is that a realistic expectation? Uh, no, I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't really have any major feelings, if I'm yeah. being honest, uh, because I, that expectation isn't there. Um, and I would love Labour to be you know, more supportive around these issues. I think actually, though, uh, I, I only caught a clip. I thought Bridget was quite good on Ofsted today. Mm. Um, uh, you know, she says that it needs to completely, you know, be changed. Uh, so I thought she was much better better there. But equally, you know, we, we need the union to make the case to whoever's in government, don't we? That's mm. that's 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 what we need. We can't just expect the Labour government to give us what we ask for. Which means that as a union member, you, you're a former Labour member yourself and you, you're that's you're right. allied. You, you were allied to previously Labour leadership. And, and again, yeah. that was completely within your your socialism. And fully understand that so you have absolutely no problem whatsoever if this was the labor government that was we were in dispute with would you envisage even a world where we would have to take industrial action against a potential labor government well look, i think there's going to be things that uh i th i th do I think I said I don't want to see any industrial action. I want to see a united union that reaches out to an ASUWT that gives us one voice. So strikes are completely avoidable. But do I think there is going to be things that Labour uh, that we're going to have to to make the case to Labour uh, Labour government about? I do. Yeah, I do think that. I you know um, we heard uh, Keir Starmer talk about. Um, tax status for independent schools and that's all well and good but you know he's not saying anything about academization at the moment mm -hmm. i want to be really clear with anybody who's listening you know i left the labor party when i became a national officer it's my view as an unaffiliated union uh you know i'm not i'm not too sure on uh, the national leaders of an unaffiliated union having political party because you know you want to be able to 
uh, act without fear or favour with whoever's in government. And that's very much my position. If I would look to work with Labour on all areas impacting education, and there are some real things that I thought Labour had some great ideas on. When Wes Streeting was the uh, minister, shadow minister against child poverty, he had the 10 by 10 policy. And I thought that was excellent. We want to work with Labour on that. However, if there was a Labour government that I could envisage that wanted to strengthen Ofsted, that wanted to entrench privatisation and academisation, that wanted to narrow the curriculum, that wanted to uh, increase pressure on schools in terms of accountability in regards to tests, then I'd oppose uh, the union and the membership would oppose them on those base on that basis. Would it lead to industrial action? Not necessarily. Would there be uh, campaigns? Most definitely, because we need to be an independent union, independent of government that fights purely in the interests of children and education. So last question then, obviously, and you don't have to answer this because we've had Neve on and, and she was on last, last Saturday with uh, one of our, um, our Callum, one of our uh, hosts. And we're looking at trying to get both you and Neve together to host hosting. So we'll, we'll sort out some dates for that. What then, because looking at your records, you're very similar in some aspects. Um, what really do you think then would be the major differences between you and Neve, say, for instance, then? Did Neve answer this question? <laughs> no, not, I don't think she did. <laughs> but uh, as I say, you can you can avoid having that until we get to the hustings, or it's up to you if you want to if you want to answer that now. I mean, I think there's a there is a different. I think that there is a uh, difference. There is a difference in how we feel change uh, manifests in education. I believe. I. You know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, I believe that we need a campaigning, energetic, organised union uh, built in our schools and colleges where it matters most, where there is a strong grassroots making the case for education. So that in turn makes politicians sit up and listen. I'm not entirely convinced uh, at the moment uh, from my experiences of meeting these ministers of state and definitely from my experiences of meeting the English and Welsh pay review bodies that just, you know, senior leaders turning up in these meetings necessarily makes the changes that we need to see in uh, education. That doesn't mean to, see that, mean to say that we shouldn't go and make that case. But I think the real change comes from uh, members, uh, teachers, support staff, collectivizing and organizing uh, for that change themselves so i want to just see a union uh, that is vibrant uh, that looks to work with government on things that we agree on uh, but is absolutely uh, strong enough to take the case to a government where we believe things need changing well brilliant uh, really enjoyed that daniel you've been an absolute sport um thank you for your candor as well you know i, I was always going to be honest and, and ask you the questions that need to be asked because that's what we're here to do uh, good luck with your campaign uh, as i say the Very i think the guys behind teacher talk radio are trying to get you onto a, a neve and, and daniel hustings and i suppose it's going to be difficult for both of you we're in the middle of a strike plus an election going on so that you know keep going the pair of you and, and I wish the best to both of you because uh, either way, I, I believe we're, we're in good hands when it comes to the union. 
can I say then, thank you, and I'll go to our sponsors. So thank you, Daniel, and 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 yes, go and spend some time with your your your, your four year old goblin. Well, he's got some, he's got some crisps to finish up. He's got yeah. What, what do we say? Yes, go go finish those crisps and, and, and thank you and thank you to those. That, well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been really enjoyable. You uh, more than welcome to come on again, Daniel, um, and more than welcome because you you it was a really good interview. I enjoyed that, and, and again, thank you for your for your candor. Uh, there were some difficult questions there, and you, you could have avoided them, but you, you weren't a politician there. You actually answered them, which is refreshing that people answer questions these days when it comes to this. <laughs> so thank you for that. So Cheers. what I'd like to say now is I'd like to say thank you to, to, to Daniel and to those that contributed today, to Lisa who put a question in, to Adam and myself. Um, I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Um, the Willis, uh, sorry, with, oh, John Cat. Losing myself here. Um, and John Cat, I actually had a look at some of John Cat's stuff today and I, I picked out a couple of things I want to have a little read over the next half term. Um, putting staff first, uh, a blueprint for revitalizing our schools and a, re a blueprint for a revitalized profession by John Pomset and Johnny Utley. Uh, and that's on there. And I think that's very relevant to what's going on. I like the look of uh, Kate Jones's work, uh, Retrieval Practice, Resource Guides, Ideas and Activities for the Classroom. And I like this idea of running the room, the teacher guide to behavior by Tom Bennett. That's um, always trying to update my, my teacher behavior as the children's behavior has changed over the last couple of years. I have found that some of my old strategies just don't seem to be working the way they used to, or maybe I'm just getting a bit older. Yeah. There's a question we didn't get on to. There's so many questions. Oh, there, but there, so there, many has, there has been that kind of report today about you know, behavior is another issue. Of all the issues that we're talking about, you know, um, behaviour and changing behaviours is something. So it could be a really good book to update your CPD. Yep. So that's John Cat Educational, and they've brought this uh, show with us in partnership. Uh, they're a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out the releases? I've just mentioned a couple of them, um, and we are also doing some uh, book launches through John Cat as well on some of our uh, our Teacher Talk radio shows. So visit John John Cat Bookshop to explore the full range and some cracking cracking titles on there also you might want to do what we're doing right now we've had again some new presenters daisy and elizabeth were on the first show last friday cracking show uh, callum was on last saturday as well we had need sweeney on so we've got both uh, potential candidates for the general secretary of neu on um, and again let us know if you want to become a presenter i think daisy and elizabeth were guests at one stage and they've now joined us and joined the collective you will be assimilated to your knowledge will be added to the collective and we will do something brilliant with you so also this week we have uh, you can listen back to Neve Sweeney and Callum, uh, Callum Robinson's debut show Tom Rogers did a good strike special last week where we had lots of uh, conversations about it with NEU reps uh, Sunday's a busy day for Teacher Talk Radio with the weekly review this morning uh, you can catch that on YouTube um, which is really really fascinating Yasmin also this morning Maud is on later on and tomorrow we have the briefing from the fake head teacher this is just <laughs> funny and hilarious yeah. So catch us on all of those. You can listen back on anywhere you get your podcasts and Podbean. Please share, like, subscribe, and we'll see you again. So thank you to myself. Thank you very much. Yeah, enjoyed today, Brent. Yeah, yeah enjoyed it. Yeah, really again. good, really good session. And uh, please feel free to, over the course of the week, if you want to kind of talk to us on Twitter, um, you know, follow the show, listen back to the show. You might want to kind of pick some questions out. We're happy to kind of do follow-up questions uh, next week uh, as well. Um, but... Um, off for Sunday dinner? What are you doing this afternoon? Um, catching up with some marking. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got some essays on Queen Elizabeth and her marriage proposals. 
not the most exciting, but hey, okay. nice to teacher. Okay, well, I think we're the, we're the teachers here that are letting their class out late, so we better go off. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.